Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, I'm Dave Tish. Over the past couple of years, probably no topic has dominated the headlines or the conversations of people more than the topic of justice. But it's also been a controversial one. What does justice even mean? What's the definition? How do we know? How do we get justice? Can it even ever be achieved? What does it look like? And what's the demand of us as Christians in a world filled with injustice? In Genesis chapter 18, God comes to Abraham and says that he is a person who practices justice and righteousness. And because of this, he will be a blessing to the nations. The Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright puts it this way. He says, the link is an ethical one. The community God seeks for the sake of his mission is to be a community shaped by God's own ethical character with specific attention to righteousness and justice in a world filled with oppression and injustice. Only such a community can be a blessing to the nations. So obviously this stuff is imperative of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but what does it look like? This week on The Afterword, Jay Kim and I begin to delve into this topic and begin to tease out some definitions, some correctives, some places where our, our culture gets it right, and looking at some places where our culture gets it wrong, and always trying to anchor that back onto the biblical definitions um, that help us understand who God is and what he wants from us. This is a big and important topic, so let's dive in. Everybody, welcome to the afterward here with Jay Kim. Jay, what's going on? Well, you know, the Golden State Warriors won their opening game against the Los Angeles Lakers 121 to 115. So yes, and the Lakers looked gassed at the end of the I guess that's what happens when you're all 40 or older, you know. <laughs> Speaking of 40 or older, I'm here with Jay Kim and Dave Tish, two 40 year olders. Who are also gassed. <laughs> Very. Oh, yeah. man. That's ex that's exciting. I guess the NBA, it feels like just yesterday we were talking about the Phoenix Suns. It's and true. now it Here feels we are. we're back. We're back. And it feels like the NBA was gone for like three weeks. But <laughs> I love we're it. not here to talk about the NBA, Jay. We're here to talk oh. about something. Um, I would say that, and, and this is this is the thing that, that that's interesting. As I was writing the Abraham book, the most pushback I got from our beta, beta readers the most pushback and confusion I got from our target audiences as we tested the book and kind of got comments from them was on the on the question of justice, because mm -hmm. the question of justice actually isn't often taught as a core key component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, um, the word justice often is co-opted, especially now, especially after 2020, the word justice floats around. It's a weird word. It has yeah. a lot of different definitions. This past week, you talked about that. Help us unpack the word justice and justice and righteousness and what, as you were studying, as you're exegeting the culture, as you're looking at our cultural moment, like, what are you seeing about justice? How are we thinking wrong about it? How, are, how do we need to think right about it? What's the Bible? How does the Bible help us with this? Like, as you tease that out, what did you see around this um, very important core issue of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus? Yeah, I mean, that's a really complex question. And I, I, um, 
you know, in many ways, it's like above my pay grade. They're, they're brilliant people who've, who've said, you know, really, truly helpful things about it. So I, I don't know that I, I can add a whole lot, you know, other than to just give my uh, analysis of the, of the things that I've seen and heard and read that have been helpful. I guess in a nutshell, what I would say is the word justice, it, you know, it's a buzzword in culture today for a variety of reasons. And I think what cultural renderings of justice is trying to do is a good thing. It's trying to diagnose uh, the problems in our world, the inequity, um, the wrongdoing that human beings uh, inflict on each other. Yeah. And then it's trying to offer solutions. Uh, the problem though is for Christians, um, the reality is justice uh, detached from a just king or ruler or God, one who is an authority and is just. If you remove justice from a person who paints a picture for us of a vision of, you know, uh, human flourishing and humanity at its um, most ideal, if you remove it from that and you just sort of levy the word justice here and there, it becomes way too malleable. It becomes yeah. really squishy. Justice becomes like holding sand in your hand. It just kind of falls through the cracks. And, um, you know, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of inspire and um, implement the change, I think, that all everyone's looking for, which is why justice conversations today in culture, rather than primarily leading to um, the eradication of injustice, it leads mostly to anger and vitriol, disagreement, division, further fracturing amongst us. I think it's because cultural conversations about justice, again, they're intending good in the world, but they're, they lack God. You know, they lack the anchor or the compass that gives us a unified direction in which we can move together. Um, it's like so there's a lot to say about that, but that's, you know, one of the first thoughts that comes to mind. It reminds me of like what Mark Sayers says, we want the kingdom without the king. You know, he's a yeah. kind of a cultural commentator and it's like, we want the kingdom of God, but we don't want the king. But in the Bible, justice is actually an extension of God's very character that he yes. wants his people to inhabit. Right. We need to have the ethical character of God as a, as, as, as his image bears his selim and his representatives here on earth, we have to actually have that ethical character. And it comes from the very person of God. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. hard. So what are some um, also, okay. So that's kind of the first foray into this. So what are some correctives? Like it, when you look at culture, what are some ways that justice has gone off track and then how do we get back on track or how do we think, how do we think well about it? Yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing I would say is again, justice you know, detached from a just God will never achieve what we wanted to achieve. And one of the reasons is because for Christians, justice has to be embedded in 
uh, a theology of, of Imago Dei, that human beings are created in the image of God, and that our intrinsic value and worth comes from um, God, our maker. You know, I just read uh, an article um, just yesterday about uh, the Boston Pride Parade, you know, the LGBTQIA community in Boston, and they've had a longstanding tradition of holding parades in, in downtown Boston, you know, to in support of, uh, you know, LGBTQIA rights. And I just read an article the other day that the Boston Pride Parade is shutting down, like they're not postponing, they're like literally going away. And it's because um, LGBTQIA people of color have said that the standard Boston sort of LGBTQIA community has been too white. And so they're, they're being canceled and now there's gonna be a new, and you know I understand the angst, I do, but um, you go down that road and you've done a couple of things. One, you've set yourself up on a trajectory where you will constantly cannibalize your own movement because somebody else in 10 years is gonna come along and say, well, the LGBTQIA people of color community is marginalizing and then fill in the blank with however you wanna parse it out. So that's one problem. It never really unifies. It's always gonna continuously fracture. The other problem is it, 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 instead of having a sense of Imago Dei that every human being in all of our variety and diversity, that we are all made in the image of God. Instead of that, it creates a, um, a fluid hierarchy where some people have more right, more authority, more power because of a very fluid sort of spectrum of different things, you know? So I might say, well, you know, Dave, you're white and I'm Asian American. So I, you know, like I need to be able to usurp your whatever because of who I am. And then you might say, well, Jay, you grew up with uh, your actual biological mom. I was adopted and adopted children, adopted people don't have that, right? And it, it's a slippery slope and it's yeah. sensitive because on one hand, the Bible is really clear. There is a preference toward marginalized, oppressed people. But it's not a preference because marginalization and being oppressed makes you more godly or it makes you more loved by God. That's not what's happening there. That's what culture sort of wants to lean into. What's happening in the Bible is that I think, my best understanding of it, the Bible is working toward equity, like true equity between all of us as, as image bearers of God. But in the world, those who are marginalized and oppressed, their, um, their sort of the community's sense of their uh, identity as image bearers has been marred. And so we see marginalized, oppressed people as less than image bearers of God. And what the Bible is trying to do is get us to a point where we see everybody as an image bearer. That's really sort of at the, at the core of biblical justice, the ethic of biblical justice. And again, this is pretty nuanced and, and we could get into long dialogue and debate about it, 
But, you know, for me, I think that's, that's one of the core sort of root issues right now. Yeah. Is that cultural justice, again, is trying to accomplish good, but it's trying to accomplish good without being attached to the one who defines good and evil. Right. You know, it's like we've all returned to Eden and God is saying, hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is essentially God's way of saying, I... God am the arbiter of what is good and evil. And when human beings try to take that from God, we make an absolute mess of things. Yeah. And I think cultural justice is uh, a window into that reality. We've removed God from the equation. And now justice doesn't really mean anything. It just means whatever I want it to mean, you know, yeah. and injustice means anything I want it to mean, even if it means a pressing somebody else in my pursuit of justice. Yeah. So again, it's complex. And, you know, I, I don't say this to offend anybody. I'm happy to chat with anybody who wants to chat, but uh, big picture, I think that's one of the issues. It, it also, remi- okay, th- th- this is going to be simplistic, but just bear with me because I've got a teenage son. So if you're familiar with the movie Black Panther, uh, in Black Panther, one of the great villains in the Marvel film industry is this guy named Killmonger. And Killmonger is angry because of oppression. And so his solution is to steal advanced weapons technology, give them to oppressed people so that they can inflict the same damage and become the oppressors, which is very Che Guevara, very, very, yeah, yeah. You, you become the very evil that you're trying to supplant. And of course, in the movie, he, he fails, but he's angry and he's hurt and he wants to see the same pain inflicted. And what yeah. that raises is what it, the conversations that happened in the Tish household between my teenage son and I were, uh, what's the nature of power? Um, when you have power and when you have resources, is that always evil? Is having power and resources always evil? Does absolute power corrupt? Absolutely. And and Jay, you had an interesting thought on that. And and you said you actually think that absolute power corrupting absolutely is not the right phrase. That's not the right way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm borrowing that from Andy Crouch. Um, He says that, uh, yeah, that that phrase is incorrect. And I think he's right. Um, Mm -hmm. That absolute power corrupts absolutely is not true, but rather power, absolute or not, any sort of power reveals what's really inside. So power in the hands of a good, a a, a person who leans and strives toward goodness uh, is actually really good, you know? And we we see this, we see this in in world history. Sure. It's, you know, we like, we, (laughs) we make movies about the worst, you know, the worst amongst us. You know, and but we also and, make movies about the best amongst us, to be and fair. We do. Yeah, yeah. But often we hear power and we think, oh, Hitler and Stalin yeah. and, and sure. Mao and, you know, these people. Pol Pot and these terrible dictators, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yet, you know, we've seen how power is used for the good. And I mean, it, it, the reality is you can't say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, if you're a Christian. Because Jesus had absolute power. <laughs> yes. And he lays that power down because of his goodness, because yes. of his love, yes. his yes. sacrificial nature. Now, some might argue, well, that's because he's Jesus. You know, we're, I'm talking about humans. And then you get into the whole theology of 
incarnation. Well, Jesus was human, you know, like the he's fully God, but fully man. I mean, yeah. um, you know, the Bible tells us like, there's not anything we go through in this life that Jesus doesn't understand. Like he walked in our shoes. Yeah. Meaning, you know, there's a reason why the devil in Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness, there's a reason why the devil tempts him with power. Yeah. Like the devil knew like that Jesus was susceptible, that he was available to be tempted. Yeah. That, in other words, that Jesus had the potential to sin, to rebel against God's plan for him. Um, but Jesus displays for us uh, what good humanity at its best looks like. Yeah. Now we're not ever going to achieve that because we're not fully God and fully man. We're just fully man. We're just fully human, mm-hmm. but uh, the Holy spirit is in us, which makes possible for us, not that we'll ever perfect it, but it makes possible for us every moment of the day, every decision we make, it, we have the possibility before us to make the decision that Jesus would have made, which means that, we have the potential in us to attain power, but then use and leverage that power for the good of others, as Jesus did, rather than uh, for self-serving purposes. You know, it's interesting so, yeah. for me. For me, it kind of went back to what, what was so eye-opening for me was that moment in Genesis when God creates humans, and He gives them. It says, you know, in Genesis one twenty-seven, he, he created mankind in His own image, and He says, "Rule over the fish in the sea." you know, and fill the earth and subdue it. Those that the word rule is the word Hebrew word Rada, which mm-hmm. means to rule. It's a kingly word. It's a king word. It's a, it's a royal word. And yeah. it comes with real responsibility and real power, the ability to do a thing. And God mm-hmm. says, I want you to steward and rule um, over. This is part of what it means. It's baked into the image of God. That's what it means to be image bearers is to have the power and potential to rule well or horrifically to rule and have sin corrupt and and do real damage and that's the story of pharaoh and babylon and sodom you know these and and every all the tragic um stories that we read in in the scriptures but it's baked into what it means to be human you know yeah that's exactly right 100 percent. yeah i couldn't agree more yeah um but that means that we have to be smart about our power and submit it to christ and rule the way the true king would rule because yeah because he's there Um, okay. So just personally, like this past year, all the talk about justice, all the injustices we've seen that have been exposed, not just this past year, but in the past, our lifetimes, like, as you think about what it means to be a Christian, who is a person who loves justice, who seeks justice, who, who loves what's right, who does what's right. And who sets things right. What kinds of things are stirring up in you and in our community? What do you hope for as we go forward? Um, because there's just there's so many ways this can go. Like, what what's inspiring you right now? What's I- I- exciting uh, about you uh, about this topic to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think that um, one of the things that's helpful for me is, and this isn't true for everybody. It's certainly not true, sort of broadly in culture. But I, I am really encouraged by. Uh, the increasing numbers, and I think it's still a a minority, but the increasing numbers of men and women who follow Jesus, who are really starting to feel um, the insufficiency of the polarized dialogue that we see on social media in particular. 
Um, I'm encouraged that more and more followers of Jesus in particular, and even non-Christians, but particularly followers of Jesus, who are growing frustrated in a healthy way that most of the discussion about justice seems to swing one way or the other, uh, meaning it either seems to swing, oh, justice is a farce, everything is equal, America is great, we have no problems, racism isn't real, why are we even talking about this? It's, you know, it's unbiblical to talk about inequality. That's insufficient and frustrating. And then it's also insufficient and frustrating on the other end where, you know, we hear everything is injustice. You know, we got to keep breaking this down, parsing it out. Anybody who has authority has to be removed and we have to shift the power structure and the powerless have to become powerful and you're a racist and he's a racist and she's a sexist and he's a misogynist and, you know, like the, the stuff that swings far, far in the other direction. I'm actually encouraged by the growing number of people who are growing frustrated with the caricatures uh, that, that are presented. And they're saying, no, I think there's, there's something in the middle that is more nuanced and more complex and more difficult, but more biblical. And I want to wait into those waters. Help me do that. Uh, and I'm one of those people. I'm asking, you know, help me do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm also encouraged by the fact that the answer to the help me do that is a combination of um, jumping into the scriptures more deeply together yes, and, and doing it together, you know, in the context of the church. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're on the early end of that discussion, but I'm encouraged that more and more people are, are trying to do some of that work. Uh, so I don't know where it'll, it'll lead, but, but I'm hopeful that it will lead uh, somewhere good. Yeah. I love the story that you ended um, with was a, a story of a, a man who you don't even know or remember, um, perhaps his name, but um, yeah. it was a guy who um, uh, was, a, was a customer of your mom's store or dry cleaning business, which was located like right behind Westgate. Yes. And uh, in that parking lot where there's a La Cueva, where we often go to eat, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of weird that you used to play like stickball and basketball out there when you, when you were a kid and now we're eating at La Cueva and you're the pastor of the church there. (laughs) Um, And he gave you tickets to go see an A's game, A's versus the Mariners. And um, there was a sense of your valuation. There was a sense of um, you value, you matter. There was a sense of sharing and generosity also all sorts of generosity that happened in that moment. Um, But just his, I guess what you were trying to show is that he had an attitude and a heart that saw and tried to meet needs, right? That, that was kind of what you were trying to say. Not that he changed the systemic injustices against single moms and wages, but that he, because maybe he couldn't do that, but what he, he did what he could do and he was generous uh, and moved toward that. And that, that was a super inspiring story. Yeah. Um, just as, as you reflect on that, um, what, what did that, what did that man's gift to you just showing you and what does it inspiring you even now? Yeah. What it, what it taught me was that, um, injustice is massive, Yeah. but the way to eradicate it is not to scream loud enough to be heard, but to chisel away. So screaming is like 
trying to take a hammer, you know, and smash yeah. the thing, smash injustice to bits. But I think what we find is that the hammer is like made of foam. You know, we bash at it, but it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And instead, what we what we are given in life, I think, are chisels, you know. And what he did was he, he, he found out, he was a regular customer in my mom's shop. And he found out that, you know, my mom was a single mom, that I didn't know my dad, that I didn't have a father figure in my life. And he was, he was like much, he was older. He was like in his seventies. And um, he knew that he couldn't like step in and be my dad. Right. But I think what he did was he asked a question, well, what do I have the ability to do? What's a small way I can chisel, I can chisel away at the unjust hand that this little guy has been dealt, you know, I'm oh, in man. fifth grade or something. And he finds out that I'm a big, you know, sports fan at the time. I, I loved baseball at the time. I, I was a big baseball fan. I was actually an A's fan at that point because the A's were like really good back then, you know? Sure. I didn't know that it was because of steroids, but whatever. That's whatever. Not there. Let's, let's not talk about that. You know, Jose Canseco, 40 home runs, <laughs> 40 stolen bases. I just thought he was the best. I didn't know that it was performance enhancing drugs, but you know, um, big A's fan. And so he decides that uh, he's going to take me to my first baseball game. So he buys, you know, I told this story on Sunday, he buys these incredible seats, like the best seats you can get right behind home plate. I've never sat, know. I've never sat there in my life, by the way. I haven't either since then, you know, nuts. <laughs> Incredible. and he, he tells me to invite a couple of my friends too. And I think in hindsight, a part of it was he didn't want to just take me to my first game. He wanted to give me an opportunity to feel special, you know, and yeah. to feel like, man, I'm offering my friends something cool. He wanted to allow me, he wanted me to, to feel like a kid who had a dad who took him to baseball games and he wanted my friends to see that, you know? Yeah. And it's pretty moving to think about it even now. Um, it was a way, and it, he didn't change anything. Like he didn't like enact a brand new law and right. you know, whatever. Like he didn't create a social movement. Um, and that stuff is really important. But he couldn't have done that. He was like in his 70s. He was just like this old retired guy living, you know, like doing his life and yeah. whatever. And um, he knew he couldn't do those things. Yeah. But he didn't allow that to allow him to be idle and do nothing. Yes. He did something. Yeah. And here's what I know. Yes, he, he didn't become a lawyer and change the system. He didn't become like, you know, a Supreme Court justice and whatever. He didn't do those things. But what he did, the little thing that he did, it wasn't in the newspaper, but he did it for me more than 30 years ago. And here I am today. I still remember and I'm still inspired by it. Yeah. And a small part of who I am and the good I try to bring in the world. Um, I, I can't, you know, I can't help but think that a small part of that's connected to, to what he did. Yeah. So what he did had ripples. It had effects yeah. Yeah. that had literally outlasted him because uh my guess is he's no longer alive yeah and you know i think we all have an opportunity to do that and that's yeah. how we bring him so to it reminds me of what finney and steve kind of talked about at the end of their message last week they just challenged us be more generous be more compassionate take the next step 
Just be more, be more, be more. I want to, I want to close with a quote from uh, Christopher Wright, who's one of my favorite theologians um, that, that I've encountered. He, he wrote in the book, the mission of God, this, this, this quote, and I love it. And I, it, it just keeps coming back to me like a splinter in my mind. Yeah. And, and it's been really um, uh, orienting for me during this, this season, the commands of God, he says, they're not autonomous or arbitrary rules. They are frequently related to the character or values or desires of God himself. Mm. So to obey God's commands is to reflect God in human life. Yeah. Obedience to the law of God and reflection of the very character of God are not mutually exclusive categories. One's just the expression of the other. Man. And and I I just I just love that and I'm just like I want to not only love God but I want to reflect his character. And he's yeah. good. He's generous. He's just, he loves ridiculously. And so I want to, you know, Micah six, eight, man, fear, love, walk, serve, obey, you know, do justice, love mercy and walk yeah. humbly with God. And that, 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 yeah. that man, uh, by the way, that meant you got to see Ken Griffey jr. In his prime. Is that correct? Yes. And he hit a home run in that game. Shut up. He did not. Yeah, he did. So you'll always have that. Man, yeah, it was Griffey. He was young. Uh, he had, I think he had just two years back won rookie of the year. Yeah, he was the best. Maybe the best pure swing in all of baseball. Yeah, you know whose swing was underrated? Who? The thrill Clark. Oh, yeah, Will Clark. Yeah, he was great, but he didn't play in that game, did he? No, no, I mean, no, you're just saying. Right, right. Saying, we're talking about baseball swings. Now. Sure. And we're from, talking about we're, we're children of the 90s where, you know, the, yeah. the, those swings mattered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jay, thanks for your time. Um, again, I just this is just complex and there's lots of landmines. Yeah. And so, man, thanks for helping us walk through that. These landmines are not comfortable. They're not easy. And uh, like you said, the polarizing speech. And so it gets us nowhere. Let's just stop it. Don't talk about these things on, on social media. Talk yeah. about them in groups. Talk about them face to face, eyeball to eyeball. Dig into the scriptures and yeah. let's see what God demands of us um, and, and, and what that might mean. So right. thanks for that. And um, hey, best of luck to you. And we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week where we'll continue on in our quest to understand what does it mean to be people who love what's right, who do what's right, and help set things right. We'll also hear from Brett Bymaster, who's the Chief Operating Officer over at Healing Grove Ministries. Brett and his team at Healing Grove work with some of the poorest citizens here in San Jose, and Brett's going to stop by to share stories and stats about what the urban poor are going through and what the pandemic has done and ways that we can be people of generosity right here in our city. Super inspiring. Join us for that next week and we'll see you then.